Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. See, Grant, what's good? And we return with another edition of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join us as one, you can do so by following us on any of the platforms that podcasts are hosted on, Spotify, Apple Music, so on and so forth. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram and Facebook. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, a lot of things to talk about, but before we do that, how's everything with you, brother? Straight. Everything good. Can't complain. Big time. Thank you and shout out to our brothers, you know, Daniel Badu and Elijah for being our guests on the most recent episode. If y'all haven't checked that out, please do. Um, it was a great episode. We look forward to having them back for future ones. As difficult as it is to record with them, the content always speaks for itself. Um, any comments and feedback y'all have on that, definitely send it our way. Um, so the NBA in-season tournament, I think it's finally completed the uh, all the playing games. So let's start there. What's your, what's your takeaways on the impact of this NBA in-season tournament? There have been some things that have been happening on the sidelines of these games that I, I want to figure that we can talk about before we go into the big stories. Honestly, I'm still trying to figure out this order of when they play games because I look only time I know that in the in season tournament is when the court looks different because other <laughs> than that I wouldn't know because it's no like to me it's no rhyme or reason to where okay this team is this team because this sometimes you can play on the court and then they're like oh you're about to get eliminated and then you play the next night and you're in a regular game and it's like wait what it's, so I don't, I'm mm. I'm still kind of confused on how that that really uh, is going because I feel like like if it's an in-season tournament, mm-hmm. I almost feel like you got to play the entire tournament instead of mm-hmm. playing the tournament, then you're playing regular games and you're not playing this and you're playing that. It's kind of like, yo, which one are you going to do? Like, play the tournament because now it's a matter of um, or if you play the tournament, then figure something out with the guy, people teams that get eliminated, maybe they play each other. So there's still NBA games on. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I totally understand for logistic reasons, that's probably why they're not doing something like that because, uh, you know, how do you – sometimes arenas are booked out for, you know, a year a year or so in. And, you know, how do you all of a sudden switch at the drop of a dime uh, the schedule? You know, that, that's the only problem I see with that. Why? But I guess I just feel like it's a little weird. Like, when I see the, the crazy-looking court, then I know it's a tournament game. So, so it's, 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 it's funny because you, you speak into both sides of it, of what pretty much, you know, what I've taken to be the general overall majority type feelings. There's the, I only know what's going on when the court has changed, which supports that the NBA was right to make those special courts. Because if they don't, the no. one thing that everybody universally makes them aware that an in-season tournament game is playing doesn't exist. Yeah. So an ends to a mean was accomplished with that. But what that also says is that all of their other marketing strategies, all of their other methods of communicating haven't been as effective to not only you, but to a large percentage of the NBA audience, because a lot of people look at their, 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 their programming and they see this team and this team are playing tonight at 7 p.m. They turn on their TV and they navigate to the game. Now, when they look on that lookup to see what that game is, does it say in-season tournament? It may not necessarily do that. And I think that's what a lot of things have been happening. 
Or let's talk about the promotion. The NBA runs their promo on every form of media available to you. So you'll see a promotion for an upcoming game, whether you're on YouTube in the ad or <clears throat> watching, whatever. Social media, whatever the case may be, TikTok, you'll, chances are one way or another, the NBA finds a way to market an upcoming game to you. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. So they have this stream of marketing, but it doesn't seem to have made the in-season tournament resonate to people's consciousness effectively, which is what you've communicated. So I, it's dope that you presented that perspective because I'm glad that you were able to say it and communicate it in the way you did because I think that's, that's, that's how a lot of people who have been watching this feel. And it also, because we're NBA fans, we're trained for, what is it, a six-month season? So October, mm-hmm. to a nine-month season. Yeah, yeah. So for nine months, we're programmed to enjoy the sport of basketball. We know that the NBA season is nine months. Even if we don't mentally carry that, we know, well, the stakes of the NBA season, they start to get important around when? The All-Star break. Mm-hmm. And then after the All-Star break, that's when you get to see what teams are really going to make a push for the playoffs. So now you're trying to make something meaningful in late November. And these are the consequences to you having the structure of that season. But before we segue, I just wanted to jump into a few things in regards to the NBA in-season tournament and some of the issues that it has brought up. One of them that I think is first and foremost has been the players' complaint about late game behavior due to the need for point differential. Yes. Have you witnessed any of that? Oh, fuck. Okay. that's a thousand percent. Because uh, I, I saw it a couple of games where I was like, yo, this game is over. Why the starters in? Like, I remember one time, the, one of the most recent games was the Knicks versus Charlotte. And now I know Tom Thibodeau doesn't like playing his reserves, but it was like two minutes left in the game. It was like, bro, you're already up 20 points. What are y'all doing? Like, and then it almost like or the Hornets kind of conceded to letting their their starters get out the game. And it was like, so while the starters mm-hmm. in the game, and then also I noticed it with um, most recently, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Boston and Chicago. And they were running up the score. And I'm like, yo, like, at some point, sportsmanship, I understand that concept, but I really didn't understand the point differential then. I was trying to figure that out. Because I was like, I think that could that that could make certain players get hurt. Because when when they put when the other team puts their bench players and they clear the benches out, but yet you still got the starters in, that's gonna that could possibly mess you up for um, you know future future games. Also, just the durability of certain players, you know. So that's one thing they got to watch out for. But maybe maybe the NBA, you know, they they, they maybe they got it planned out better than I thought. So to addendum to that, thank you for, for you know, confirming that that was definitely an issue that you noticed. Um, the two incidents that I remember of the most significant, well, three, because I remember the Knicks situation. Uh, Jalen Brown is what you're referring to with Boston and Chicago, I believe, where he spoke after the game about how he gets it, but he don't like it. Mm-hmm. Another player said that. And he got himself thrown out of the game near the end of the game, and that was DeMar DeRozan. And what you alluded to is what they alluded to. I think that the NBA in-season tournament is, and I don't want to be controversial when I say this, but I feel like the NBA in-season tournament is not only a way to spice up the product, but it's a real easy way to make gambling behavior normal. 
Oh, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I mean, because it's so many uh, gambling sites now, and then the NBA has to market to different areas because you're well, getting, I mean, you've yeah. got inside the NBA where Chuck and uh, Kenny talk about their parlay. Mm-hmm. It's it's already there. Almost every NBA player who is podcasting is sponsored by some form of either fantasy sports yep. or sports gambling. And just think about it: the this uh, in season tournament. The playoffs for it are in Vegas. Correct. So let me continue with why I bring up all that. The point differential thing. Point differential is something that comes from other sports leagues. And mm-hmm. soccer is a big thing when they have the in-season tournament because that's their only way. That's the only tried and true way to determine if a team that never played a whole nother group of teams but has the same record, who should advance and who should be ranked where. It always fell on point differential. Now in soccer, where you know goals and all those things, it, it is it heightened, but it's not so heightened. If your point differential is three in a soccer game, and you're up two one with ten minutes to go, yeah, you're gonna try and get that second goal, but you know you need three, not not you need three total, three more total than what you have. So if it's a two one game, you need to score four. In the NBA, let's talk about the most recent situation of where I think that mentality caused an implosion. Golden State and Sacramento had their last in-season game. Golden State needed to advance in that in-season tournament. They needed to win by, I think it was, what, like 15? Mm-hmm. It was something like that. Yeah, yeah it was double, Golden State, double digits. So Golden State is winning that game. And then all of a sudden, the game gets close. And now they've got to fight just to win the game. Well, they've taken two losses. Yeah. Because even if they win the game, that's one in the column, but they're still not advancing in the, in the in-season tournament. So it almost makes that game in that microscope less valuable. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to win the game the way you need to win the game, what's the point to winning the game? And, also, and you're talking about... Yeah, go ahead. What I'm saying, but also... What's the point of keeping your uh, burning your, your starters out? Because the point because, differential. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But if but if you're not going to win and you can't meet that point differential, or even if you're going to win, right? But you can't meet that point differential, then you really keeping your starters in to burn them out, and then that's how injuries can happen, and then that's how different things can uh, guys get fatigued at the end of the season. It could be mm-hmm. so many different ways because, like you said, you got guys trying to. Um, play these games that don't mean nothing and normally guys and also mess up some, some players their um their rhythm for the minutes they play mm-hmm. you know because now you got guys playing that normally sit out at you know the, the start of the fourth quarter but now they got the mm-hmm. point differential they got to either start earlier or sometimes they might even have to um stay in the game longer come in early say okay you know what you normally come in at the five minute mark in the fourth quarter now we need you to come in at the seven minute mark or the eight minute mark like yeah, it did, did. And the other the other thing that I want to, because again, I don't want to dwell too long on any one topic. Um, going back to the NBA in-season tournament, um, I think now that they're about to advance to Vegas, it's no longer a moot point. But when they do this next year, those courts have to be safer. I don't think I saw a single game in any arena that was played where guys weren't slipping and sliding because of that custom vinyl mm. skin floor 
that they had out there. And there are compilation videos of NBA players slipping and sliding. And if you have played basketball competitively indoors, you know the scariest thing in the world for you to be on as a basketball player is a slippery-ass floor. Oh, that's a fact. Because your body is trained to keep you upright. Mm -hmm. So as you slide, your body will defy all natural mechanics where, you know, they, they train you to learn how to fall if you jump a lot. But there's no falling when you're slipping. Your body tells you, fight your way back up to be in the natural upright position that... So you could wind up twisting your knee, spraining your ankle, hyperextending something. All of these types of injuries that you get just from a bad floor. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping that when they roll this out next year, they'll have a tried and true method to the court. Maybe, maybe you don't roll out a whole entire floor. Maybe you put stickers on the floor. Yeah, or even signify the game or something like that. You simplify what you add to the floor, or maybe you just do it digitally, like you've been doing everything else. I mean, I think it's the dopest thing in the world that you see the last 10 seconds of the shot clock in the top of the key mm -hmm. when you watch these broadcast games now. And now you've got these guys who can highlight players and put red circles and, 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 and yellow, you know, trails behind them like video games, live in game. So we, we've advanced to a point where technology can kind of like resolve some of these issues i get it so again it goes hand in hand with what you said the only reason why i knew it was an in-season tournament game was because of the floor but the floor ain't safe and then on top of the floor not being safe the context of how these games are being played and what they actually mean is sketchy mm -hmm. so i think the nba as always they're gonna roll something out and if it sticks we'll see it return and you know to me, it's interesting to see what happens. I don't really have like a, a, um, a strong case for it or against it because, again, I grew up, you know, with West Indian heritage. So a lot of soccer support. And, and so none of this is like unfamiliar to me. It's strange to see it in the NBA. I didn't know that these issues were going to, you know, come about because you, you, you can't teach basketball players. Like, let's go back to us, me and you when we were in college. John Jay versus Brooklyn College. We want to win. Mm -hmm. We want to win. So we're up five with a minute to go. I don't think there's anything the coach can say to us in that last minute that's going to push us to want to make it go from five to 11. Like, all right, guys, if y'all can turn this five-point lead into 11, y'all won't have to do two a days for the next week. We'll all be like, yeah, but then are we going to actually make it an 11-point lead? No. Yeah, it's, 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 just, it's a weird situation, man. I think, as so you said. So I think with basketball players, it's really tough to motivate them how football players and other sports get motivated. Because remember, you know, these college football teams, they go out and play against the spread. They literally do that. Like, Dion made it, like, abundantly clear that these kids know they're, they're a minus five at halftime or whatever the case may be. They're aware of this spread because of so much going into advancing in college football rankings and so on and so forth. So those things matter. It doesn't mean that much in the NBA. In the NBA, it's your regular season record and where you get seated in the playoffs. So now to tell a team it's more about how you beat them, that, that's going to change the mentality of these players. And what it's also going to do 
before I transition back to you is it's going to introduce a whole new level of petty. That's a fact. But do you mean that's because? Good. No, no. I was just saying. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely it's definitely not something I think they again they, they're going to make adjustments. You know, they'll see how well this goes, and it might be something they'll continue to roll out or to do a better job of um, taking care of it. So that way, this this year is a little different. I mean, next season is a little different, but you know, it is what it is. But I ain't even again basketball's on. That's the great thing about it. This in season mm-hmm. tournament. It's going to be tricky because I'm also looking at it like I got to look at double check the schedules because, okay, when it's, when it's a one game elimination, when you lose, when do you play again? Because if some of the teams are you in don't. Vegas, so now, you so now you're on a vac- in season vacation? No, you just go back to your regular schedule games. But that's what I'm saying. Your, so your, your, your in-season tournament is over, but you still have your regular season to compete. Okay. You so, placed because now there's the quarterfinals. So these are all single elimination games. So four teams are going to win these, these these four games. The other four teams are out. And then that creates the semifinals. Got you. Okay. So, but the thing about it, without the NBA, so it's almost like the NBA is adjusting their schedule because if if I lose, and that's the thing, because most of the time the NBA schedule is made up. Like people know right. when the they, game is There's off. an 82-game schedule. Yes. So the only two games that are not going to be incorporated into the 82 games are the semifinal and final game. Okay. So these 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 knockout games, they're a part of your 82. Gotcha. Gotcha. But what I'm saying is when you lose and you have to go back to your regular schedule, mm-hmm. you can't dictate because what happens if the team you're supposed to play, let's say for instance, you're supposed to go on the road trip with like, you know, a lot of teams go to um, Texas and they play the three teams in Texas, right? Let's mm-hmm. just say Dallas and um, is playing against New York and mm-hmm. New York loses to Dallas, but Dallas now is in the um, playoff and they got the next round opponent is Houston, but the Knicks on the schedule is supposed to play Houston. Like, how do you do that? Okay, so let me clarify. These knockout games exist essentially in a bubble of their own. They're going to be played in Vegas or wherever the case may be, mm-hmm. and you win that game, and then your next game is scheduled based on the winner of the other team in your group being made available to you. Okay. The other teams that are, that are lost, the four losing teams, they're out, so they no longer are a part of the schedule. They just go back to playing the remainder of their regular season schedule. Now, if your game's left – result in you not adding up to 82, I believe the contingency or they've already created a contingency of that game will be, you know, assigned to you. So, like, let's say you make it to the in-season tournament quarterfinals, you lose that first game. So now your season total would only be 81. Now they owe you a game. So I guess there's some failsafe they have in place for those four teams to get that missing one game back. Because that's the only logic to, to not only logic, but that's the that's the instance that I'm seeing that you're alluding to of where that makes sense. Like where do they get this phantom game from? Because if they would have won, they would have had an eighty second game, but now they're not gonna have it because they lost. So mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. I just don't know what the contingency plan is for it now to speak to it with authenticity. I don't know for sure. But I'm pretty sure there's a contingency game for those four teams that they're you know, that they're gonna put in place 
and make it fit within the cohesion of how standard NBA scheduling used to go. You know how you play every team in your conference twice, mm-hmm. whatever, that all that logic. So they'll they'll figure out a way to pigeonhole those four games, or it's not even four games. It's gonna be two games because each team is gonna need a game, and it's gonna be four mm-hmm. teams that lost. No, it's four games. Whatever. Yeah. If those two, if those four teams that lost all play each other, then it would be two games. Anyway, um. I just want to go ahead and jump around to where we're at now, where we're almost nearly at the point where teams are approaching playing 20 games. Mm -hmm. I think the Lakers have played 19, and that's the most of anybody yet so far this season. Uh, Toronto's played 19. Um, Before we pick who to talk about, I'm just going to go through the top 10 in the East, and I want you to tell me real or not. Boston number one, 14 and four. That's a good take. That's I mean, that's they're gonna be good. They're gonna be there towards the end of the season. So you say that's real? Yeah, or the, or the record. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fact. Orlando, 13 and five. I, I would say no, but confidence is a confidence is a mother. So yeah. So do so so so, so does Orlando get some time today? Do we get to talk about Orlando? Yeah, yo, Orlando? I was gonna okay. mention that because you know okay, what? Cool. For for as long as we've had this podcast, we always used to say Orlando Magic fans, wherever y'all at, please chime in. And we've gotten right. and I and I'm in Orlando. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely looking forward to their ascension. And there's some things about them I'm excited to talk about, but I didn't want to force that in. So I just mm-hmm. want to make sure we, we get to, you know, being fair to the to Milwaukee, thirteen and five. That's the, yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 real. Okay, Philadelphia at twelve and six. Yeah, for sure. Knicks at ten and seven. Yeah, because that's just that's middle of the pack. That's home team. Yeah. Indiana at nine and seven. That's that's about right for Indiana. Miami at ten and eight, and Cleveland at ten and eight. That's that's I'm not I'm not surprised by any of those honestly, except for except for the Orlando. Other than that, every those are regular players in the last couple of seasons. Okay, so at nine and ten, we got Brooklyn at nine and eight, and Toronto at nine and ten, and at eleventh because they're worth mentioning. Atlanta at eight and nine. Do you think that all of these records so far kind of fit the narrative of where you saw these teams? The only the only one is Orlando. I didn't think Orlando was going to be this good. They're the only outlier. Okay. Yeah, because I all I right, could so- I could easily see. Um, Everybody else is kind of where they at. Miami's right, always so Miami normally don't turn they, they don't turn things on or put that pressure back on until towards the end of the season. They'll they'll, okay. they'll they're fine with being the AFC as long as they get in the playoffs. So let's just jump to the outliers in the West and we'll leave everybody else alone because they expect the contenders are there. Um, uh, Asterisk goes to New Orleans because New Orleans has always been if Zion's healthy that they're they're in a playoff mix and Zion has been healthy so far. So them being in the playoff mix is not a surprise. When he was healthy last year, they were at one time, the number one team in the West. But let's start with yeah. the number one team record-wise, Minnesota. Is this for real? Are they sustainable? I, I've yet to be seen. I haven't seen Minnesota ever be this good and since Oklahoma Kevin's done that. Um, I would like to see that. and I, I wouldn't say They're number four in the West right now. Yeah. I, now, that record they got is a young because you got Dallas, Oklahoma, and Phoenix all – Pretty much sitting around the same record, and yeah. Sacramento one game behind. So I could see, and the Lakers one game behind. Oh my god! Well, that's what there, I'm saying. There's five teams separated by one game, but well, that's what I'm saying. It? So that's that's mm-hmm. uh, Oklahoma City um, with Chet. 
being pretty much he, he's, he's, he's legit. So mm-hmm. we always, I mean, I think we always talk about with Oklahoma City, they know how to draft, they know how to get the best out of their players. And I've, I am on the record as a Sam Presti fan. I've, and I will listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. So, yeah. Um, you know I'm big on Oklahoma City and what they're what they've got going. I, I don't think they have a bad player in their thirteen. No, they just now, have young are, players. They just I, but none of them are bad. Like, no, exactly. Like no. what is this guy? Like what does this guy do? Like he's only there because he got drafted. You know, every team had a guy like that back in the days. Man, they drafted him. They got to play him. No. These guys, every time they get on the floor, it's like, yo, how come he's not getting more minutes? Who is he? Yeah. Or... And then they added people who weren't even healthy, like Kendrick Williams. Did you know he was missing? He just came back out of nowhere. Yo, it's crazy because they got these guys believing whatever their role is, is valuable to the team. Oklahoma and... City has two guys on their team who played in high school together. Word, that's a fact. I just found that out the other day. That's a fact. That's crazy. So, with that being said, we've been, I've been big on the Oklahoma City bandwagon that they're the team that's going to be a problem for the NBA because everybody's been kind of like treating their, their bank account like, like a, you know, like, oh, well, we don't, got, we, we don't know what to do with this. Give it to Sam. And Sam's just been collecting. All right, all right, all right. Pennies on the dollar, pennies on the dollar. Y'all keep thinking y'all trading pennies on the dollar with these mm-hmm. draft picks. And, you know, that cachet that they have, along with the talent that they have. Remember, I was the one who said, if their trajectory isn't right, they may have to trade shot. It looks like their trajectory might be able to keep them around because they're really competitive really quick. And yeah. he's, he's, and he's really 20s. good. And he's really good. Really good. So with that being said, we're going to jump off of the Oklahoma City bandwagon and go back east to Orlando. Um Number one team defensively in the league. They are the number one defensive rated team in the league. I definitely didn't see that. It makes sense though. Uh, Everybody that they that they bring out there is pretty tall or above average height at their position, or has a really long wingspan. So you got Suggs, who is six four, but he's got like a six. He's got the wingspan of somebody who's like six seven. He's been getting a lot of their guard minutes. Um, Fultz has been in and out because he hasn't been healthy. Yeah. Um, Greg Cole Anthony, uh-huh. who is 5'10", but he's got the wingspan of like a seven-footer. And that dude's so a jumper. He jumps like eight times. Exactly, yeah. Well, That's when you got long arms, you, it looks like you're jumping high. But anyway, um, you've got uh, Powell. Uh, green, got, yeah. Don't they uh, have a green on their team? Their no, coaches, no, what's no, his their name? coaches in the degree. Um, I know that Jonathan Isaac has been back. He's been playing 20 minutes a game. And uh-huh. with that, with him on the floor, they have a 99 defensive rating. 99 defensive rating. Meaning, that, meaning that you're not expected to, to cross 100 points if he stays on the floor. The only problem is that Jonathan Isaac came back healthy, but his offensive game is it's sick. Mm-hmm. He can't make anything. No, yeah, so yeah. I do hope that he finds his way back because there used to be a time where he was a, a decent spot-up shooter to set a screen, roll to the basket, maybe take a couple of dribbles and hit a pull-up jumper because he's, you know, 6'11 with a 7'3 wingspan. 
but it just looks like that part of his faculties hasn't returned yet. So that's part of the reason why he doesn't get to stay on the floor, but he can guard anything. And they've got three, four, five guys who could do that with the Wagner brothers, the Wagner brothers, I don't want to say it wrong. Mm-hmm. Paolo, who's proven himself to be pretty versatile, even though we all know that you should never let him play center after watching him in the international tournament. Please don't let Paolo play center. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. He's not big enough. Um, they've been holding the fort without Wendell Carter Jr., who was hurt. Um, Orlando. Yeah. I feel like Orlando might be the Utah of last season. Because, mm. you know, Utah was kind of like top five in the West out of nowhere for a while. And then without anything really happening, they just kind of like trailed off as teams, I guess you say, figured them out or got better or whole. Mm. I feel like Orlando has great continuity with all the people that they got back. Now we know why Bobo didn't get to come back. <laughs> now we know why. Because they had it figured out already. They had a plan. And here's their plan. Their plan is working. So nobody can second guess them. So shout out to the Magic. And, and again, shout out to Oklahoma City. And let's give them the prime time that they deserve. Minnesota. Shout out to these teams who they were on the bottom pecking order of, of NBA records for a while. And now they have an opportunity to see what it's like to be chased. Minnesota kind of always put themselves in the forefront but with their talking. You know, the whole Pat Bev thing and then mm-hmm. Carl Anthony Towns over the summer and then Ant-Man with him getting into it and before the season even started, letting it be known who he had, some people that he definitely wanted to come see, you know, Golden State and so on and so forth. They And then what Rudy Gobert did, they kind of like made themselves be noticed, but now you can't ignore them. Yeah, well, I mean, when you got, when you got a um, an offensive... Young well, player. they're the best defense in the West. Mm-hmm. They are second in point differential to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. They score 113 a game. Um, mm-hmm. And they were doing this when Carl Anthony Towns wasn't playing well, and now he is playing well. But I think uh, Ant-Man just got hurt, right? Yeah, he just got hurt. He's going to be out for, what, a, I was say, what, a week or two? Was it that so, bad? Yeah, so we'll see how they can absorb that, and I think that would be a testament to them because these elite teams where you're governed by one really good player. Oh, yeah, the hip injury. Ant-Man had a hip. Yeah. So, Godspeed, get well. Don't don't rush it back and because a, a hip is a big deal. We saw what it did to Isaiah. So, we want to, you know, we want to see your future play out with you healthy. So, get well, Ant-Man. Um, do you feel like this is kind of like, I don't know. I don't even want to go that route with him because, like, I just feel like talking about him makes my head hurt. But, like, I was going to say, that? do you feel like any of this is, like, you know, some sort of redemption for Rudy Gobert and all the all the drama surrounding him? But it's like, uh, uh, who cares, man? No, yeah. who they, they get, Listen, in certain cases, some people get what they deserve. The reason why I say that, because Rudy Gobert can't get redemption until he wins in the playoffs. So all this talking about them, like he's notoriously a great winner in the regular season. So saying that anything justified what he did in the regular season, I feel like that's a waste of time. So that's why I kind of like backpedaled off of it. Like, yeah, my bad, man. Minnesota at this point, y'all got to win. Y'all got to mm-hmm. win. Y'all said, y'all said, 
y'all said that it was uh what did Carlton Town say? He said them winning the play in was more monumental than was it Denver winning the title? They say he said something like that. There was something crazy. I don't even want to. I, 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 that's why I tried not to remember because it didn't make any sense. It was like, bro, like, chill out, man. Mind you, the statement that he said before that, which was also outrageous but kind of true, would have been okay if you didn't double down and say that after it. He said that he changed the game of basketball. It's a fact. He did. Is it a big deal fact? No, but it's true. But moving right along. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like now or ever the Clippers are going to figure it out? They had a pretty good win against uh, ooh, Sacramento. Was Sacramento they beat? Yeah. They and beat James Harden showed out. Mm-hmm. And Kawhi did a, did a solid game as well. Paul George didn't have a good game, but I mean, you have you know some very good players figuring things out. Yeah, they combined for 60 and they beat the Kings by 14. Um, I feel like what they did and what Tyron Lue is doing now is in those first 10 or so games, he was trying to figure out where to put people on the floor and not necessarily game planning with the whole intention of just beating a team to win. But the way that they attacked Sacramento's bigs with Zubac, it looks like now they have a game plan and they can incorporate the players who are there to win the game plan. So I feel like we may wind up seeing the Clippers reel off a, you know, a 15 and four, a 17 and three. Uh, really? 13 and six. I don't know. I don't know. And this is no knock to them. I'm definitely not trying to be uh, downplayed, but I don't see them being healthy enough to have a consecutive 20 game stretch to where they're all playing together. Now, I don't think part. they'll all play together, but I that, think that okay. the system, because what we the have to give that set up for credit for we'll allow is he's a off. great system coach. Once he's got his roster understood, the system yeah. holds them up. He definitely can figure it out. So if he's got to deal with a situation where Harden's hamstring cracks, he'll be able to have a system established with when, when Russ is on the floor that they'll, because he's already done that. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. if Russ goes down, it's like, all right, well, we'll just shuffle those minutes to Harden and stagger him with the second team and Norman Powell. I feel yeah. like now that he's got an idea of how they can win, he's going to start configuring them so that they will win. Now, like you said, they have a health issue, but they also have a consistency issue. Like you said, Paul George didn't have a great game. All four of them are not going to have a great game at once often. That's just yeah. the nature of the odds, you know? Like, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. when you had that four-headed monster in, in with the Lakers, when they had Malone, Peyton, Kobe, and Shaq, Kobe and Shaq were consistent, but Malone and Peyton, they were on the tail end of their careers. They could randomly give you five points one game and 18 the next. I think mm. with a situation like that, when you have four players with that much usage involved and Harden is not going to, like, not have the ball, it's not to say he's not going to shoot, but he's not. he's going to be making those decisions. So he's still going to be driving whether or not certain guys score. So let's look at it. So they got Golden State back-to-back, Denver, Utah, Portland, Sacramento, Golden State again, the Knicks on December 16th, Indiana, Dallas, Oklahoma City. They got Golden City. They got got Golden State in three of those ten games. 
So they might have three wins right there. Mm. Utah's down. That's four wins. Denver, I feel like that's going to be a tough game because Denver is starting to be whole again with Jamal Murray coming back. Portland, they should they should drop. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Sacramento will develop an answer for what I saw the Clippers do to them. I mean, I I'll, I'll give it to Mike Brown. He's a good coach, so he, he's a great coach. But one thing you can't do is coach for size. You can't make guys bigger. And Zubac is just too fucking big for for Zabonis. Mm-hmm. And the things that I mean, he oh my goodness, he, not to say that he he can't revert back because of course he can. But, like, Zubac is a big dude. And Sabonis is a big dude. And Zubac had him looking like a little baby. Not on, like, some post-up, but just like, I was, I'm too big. Get out of here. Stay down on the ground, little man. Like, it was, it was something to see. So, yeah, Kawhi was out there stunting, and, you know, he, 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 he's looking better. He had a mean, um, he had a mean Michael Jordan air reverse that he caught him with. I, I, I definitely, again, as a fan of LA sports teams, not necessarily a Clippers fan, but a fan of the players that play for the Clippers, I do want to see them do well, not at the expense of my own team. So I am kind of like glass half full optimism towards them, but I absolutely agree with you. Their health is going to be the key. They may not be able to win two games in a row at the, the rate that they can't stay on the court. So wait and see with the Clippers. Um, yeah, definitely wait and see with them dudes. Are there any players that have caught your eye this season that you hadn't been checking for, but now you will be because of how they've been performing? Uh, that's a good question. Oh, well, I mean, we gave Tyrese Maxey, showed him uh, some props last game, gave him his flowers last game, so I'm not going to do that again. Uh, but the only other – was nobody else that I felt like was – that I could think of that was more surprising than him. Well, Maybe, are you surprised at uh, how Indiana's playing? Well, I, that's what I was about to. I was about to mention two players. I was about to mention Tyrese Halliburton as an extremely good player. Like, still mad the Knicks didn't draft him, and they drafted Obi instead. <laughs> um, but in, the, in his defense, we got you know Jalen Brunson, which. I'm good with that. You know what I mean? Like, so. But, you know, hello? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, got you. Yeah, so that Tyrese is, he's putting up what? Like, what they say, 2010 and shooting like 90% from the free throw line and like 40% from three. Something crazy. He's, I think, leading. No, not Max. No, no, no. Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, Halliburton. Yeah. Sickness. Yeah, so that's crazy. So. With that being said, I didn't expect him to be that good. You know, definitely he was going to be good, but that's that's definitely oh, I'm one of the top guys in the league good. And I didn't see that from yeah. him this this early. Now, especially being the Pacers kind of is not just his team, but he is kind of the only like consistent option for the Pacers. Because Buddy Hill, depending on what night you got Buddy Hill, you might not get nothing. There was you a know. point where Buddy Hill wasn't even starting. So That's what I'm you saying. You're absolutely on point. You you are not without fail with what you're saying, that Halliburton is the stamp option, and then everything kind of flows from what he can create. 
he's definitely reestablished Miles Turner. But what I wanted to allude to is the fact that like Indiana is scoring like 135 points, something crazy. Yo, they they have fun. This is Rick Carlisle still coaching. Yeah. A guy who we know as being a quote unquote defensive minded coach. Now we obviously obviously got to see him evolve when he went to Dallas and you know coached the the Mavericks into uh you know a world title team. He definitely evolved and, and became because that, those Mavericks teams were good on defense, but they were never playing the type of defense like you know the, co- the teams that he used to coach, like the Pacers. So yeah, I, I could see him adjusting to the modern game, but the the, the Pacers are scoring one hundred and twenty seven point six points per game, and mind you, the Hawks aren't too far behind them at one twenty two point point five. So there's an uptick in in the top level scoring in the NBA. Milwaukee is scoring one hundred twenty one a game. Philadelphia is scoring one hundred and twenty, and Dallas is scoring one nineteen. So we're in an era of, you know, this is the money ball. Um, but again, when you, look at, when you look at that roster for the Pacers, that roster does not strike you as, oh, the team is leading the league in scoring. Like, again, Obi Toppin, uh, Miles Turner, Buddy Hill, uh, Halliburton, you got... Matherin, uh, who's not having a good season. Um, yeah. TJ McConnell... Aaron Neesmith, Bruce yeah. Brown. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Like, that doesn't strike me as, yo, they got to worry really about score. these guys giving us 140. But that also go, that also shows me about, again, oh, I always stress the importance of confidence in players. The coaches mm-hmm. got these guys believing. So when they and start the believing that, that they play is beautiful. Exactly. And it showcases all of their skill sets because – Again, the go-to guy is their point guard, and the secondary guy could be any other of those guys on any given night. You know, so they just take advantage of those situations so far. Is hey, if you know Tyrese is going to do his thing, I mean, um, it's 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 beautiful what they do because it's what we are taught. If you've ever played any type of organized basketball for an extended period, we all love that coach. Who was your favorite coach? The coach who let you just what run. Yeah. Yo, guys, just go out there and run. Don't let me see you standing still. Everybody who played organized hoops and had that one coach, you loved that coach. He might have taught you three basketball actions and the whole time you got coached by him. But you loved him. You know why? You would run through a wall for him. Why? Because he encouraged you to have some freedom. Mm -hmm. That's what Carlisle's doing. The Indiana Pacers, they run on misses. They run on inbounds. They run on out-of-bounds plays. They, they run. They get to their spots. They create an action. They make you react. And then they have guys waiting to take advantage of what you've given them. And Tyrese Halliburton has proven to be one of the best decision-makers. He's probably the best decision-maker currently in the NBA. He's leading the league in assists. Uh-huh. So, and like you said, if you're leading the league in assists and the only guy that people could consider a credible threat to score is you, That means you're a bad man because everybody's worried about what you're going to do scoring and you're letting that, you're making this so everybody else can score. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's powerful. Um, I do feel like that style always winds up imploding on itself. You know, everybody eats one guy to control mm-hmm. the destiny of everybody. You know, a team like Indiana is going to get to the playoffs and they're going to deal with the team that decides, you know, we're trapping y'all. Yeah, <laughs> we trapped it. We, oh, we, we trapped to get the ball to Halliburton's hand to make everybody else a right. playmaker. 
Right. And eventually the law averages, it, it will catch up to you. Because if you got to sit up there and worry about, and I'm just going to pick a guy, if you got to worry about Obi Toppin going for 60 because you keep leaving him open for three, you're going to win. He might not even get you 13. Right. But he might give you 27 mm-hmm. on a random cold night in in uh Yeah, but if you got but if you got to do that in a series, you like your chances. Right. Listen, um we're not going to do the over top of things. I know how. No, no. It's all good. No, no, no knock to him. I mean, he he did what he's supposed to do. He's playing the game that he's supposed to play and he's with the team that's going to help him showcase his his skill set. So I I've got his numbers, his numbers and and playing time are right about what they were when he was getting minutes from Thibodeau. So he is who he is. Uh-huh. There's no debate in that. He's just not an envelope pusher. He's not a, he's not a needle-moving power forward. And that's what he was playing behind. He was playing behind somebody who could move the needle. When, uh-huh. you're, when you're dealing with somebody who's one of the top players at their position and you're not that, it's going to be tough to get on the floor. Yeah. And even with all that we've said about Julius Randle, None of us is gonna sit there and say, "Oh, let Obi play more than him." <laughs> yeah, but every now and then you see some delusional people. But you know, don't you don't pay attention, too much attention to them. Yeah, listen, like they said, a broken clock is right twice a day. So there are gonna be times where Obi Toppin looks like the better basketball player because it just happens like that. But at the end of the day, I think Obi's situation is one where everybody benefited because it looks like the Knicks did a lot of addition by subtraction with the players that they that they are not giving playing times to. I still feel bad for um our boy, the Frenchman. Who? Like he can't our boy who's our boy. Uh, I can't even think of his name. Oh how little he plays now. The Frenchman. But you don't what, even know he's French. Wait, what team what team he played for? The Knicks. Oh, you talking about um Evan Fournier? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I thought you was talking about. Uh, I thought you was talking about. Um... See y'all? See, he just proved it. He just proved it. No, that's how far the Frenchman has fallen. That yo, you forgot. yo, I thought you was talking about your man <laughs> Frank Nilakina or something. I was like, yo, you, Lucy, your brain has put Fournier so far under the bench. That you thought of a player who's not even on the Knicks, but who used to be in that same, Knicks. but who used to be that same area. They're coming from the same, they're coming from the same area because they both used to never play, and it was valid reason. Now Fournier, you know, he, he, I can't say if it's rightfully so or not that he's not playing. Um, I don't know. He hasn't been given enough, um, in his in his little of playing time that he got last year. I mean, he was a professional and he played. He played with his, the way he was supposed to, but now what he's doing this season, yeah, I mean, but again, he's being a professional. He's not pouting. He's sitting on the bench cheering. He Josh did his complaining, right? He's been a very, he's been a very um, model teammate. That's yeah, the exactly. So I, I do want to give him credit for because in the off season, he did kind of let it be known. He was frustrated by the situation, and he did want some clarity, and he was hoping that he would get traded. He spoke openly on it. Yeah, yeah. Like, please trade me. Um, The Knicks didn't. They kept him. And um, he's there, and like you said, he's been a a model citizen. So, you know, shout out to to him for doing that. And that's something that, like, for you young people out there to to understand, that, like, you can be 
you can be a positive to your team even when you're not contributing on the court. Just by having the right attitude and the right energy and, and, and presence amongst everybody. So, you know, and again, that's a situation kind of like what Duncan Robinson dealt with in Miami. In Miami, it was like, yo, y'all picked up these four dudes off the grocery store line and because they play for cheap, y'all giving them every shot to be successful. Y'all pay me $91 million, I got to eat, bitch. It's messing with my mental. And it did. But he's bounced back and he's got, a, he's, he's got the role that he used to have with Miami back. Those guys are gone. So it just goes to show that you have to stick to it sometimes and keep working because the work will pay off if you continue to invest in yourself. So hopefully, you know, there's an opportunity that comes along for Evan Fournier to, to, to do something meaningful on the court. And I'm pretty sure he would very much enjoy that. Um, but for now, it, it seems like, you know, the Knicks are – I feel like this is going to be one of those years where we can't look at records and put teams to the fire. There's going to be a lot of teams that are at 41 and 41 at the end of the season, bro. It's looking like one of those years where going 500 might be the new 600 because so many teams are are, are competitive. Um, I think you had picked on our previous pod when we had the fellows on. What was it like plus 40 some odd games like the Knicks to reach their match to reach their match, their win total from mm-hmm. last year? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the top heavy teams, the Boston's, the Minnesotas, Denver, if they get right. They may be able to win like, you know, like 55 plus games. But everybody else, getting to 50 wins is going to mean something. I think that's going to be the marker. If you get to 50 wins, you probably, you're probably top two or three in, in, in your um, conference. I don't think this is going to be one of those years because what the, the in-season tournament has done, and, and and the way that talent has kind of redistributed itself in the NBA, off talent alone, give me your top five talented teams. Denver. Uh, heck, I mean, you could say the Clippers. Uh, Boston. Damn, uh, that's a tough Milwaukee because this they got two of the top five players. You know. Um, Man, that's tough, bro. I don't even know a lot of you. Who else is talented? Um, shoot, I mean, you why did you say Denver? Because of, because of Jokic? No, because they got Jamal Murray, who's got. They still have players that have. I just upside. wanted to hear. I just wanted to hear you say. I just wanted to hear. They just okay. they have a lot of Jamal Murray still has a lot of upside. Michael Porter Jr. still has upside. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael Porter Jr. has been playing very well. So exactly. You got. You said Denver. You said. I said the Clippers. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I just said the Clippers. Clippers. Because the Clippers have, I mean, you got four. I agree. So I agree. But to name the last two, let me say this: Oklahoma City got a lot of young talent. Dude, if they could put that mm-hmm. together, that's gonna be scary. The fifteen. Now, what you're doing? What you're doing is proving is, is proving my point. But continue. The fifteen just straight off a of talent. Move. I don't even gonna lie to you, bro. I feel like this, like just straight talent. Like you can have a good record, good system. I mean, I'd say maybe Sacramento. Okay, and that might so be let's tough. go over your, Let's go over. So let's go Oof, over your five that's again. Tough. 
So you said Denver. Mm-hmm. Sacramento. Clippers. Clippers. Milwaukee. And Milwaukee. OKC. OKC. Okay. So if you can't make a mental note of those five teams you said. Gotcha. Now tell me the five teams you believe have the talent right now to win a title. Right now, this year. Milwaukee. Not what they're going to be. No, no. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Milwaukee uh, Denver. Denver. Okay. And uh, Championship Town. That's what I'm saying. Only would only reason I would say Boston is because Tatum is really good. Like he's gonna he's one of the top mm-hmm. five players. And Brown is probably top fifteen. You know what I mean? So and and they play with their system, but their role mm-hmm. players to me, not that. But um those are the only two teams of especially two of the five that I mentioned that I feel like a title can Forget contention. the five. Oh, okay, forget gotcha, the five gotcha. that okay, you mentioned. Gotcha. Give me uh, five else? teams that you think off their talent right now this year. Should be considered a, a title contender. Um, like I said, Milwaukee, Boston, Boston, F- Philly, Denver, D- Denver, and so you got one more. If we're if, if we're not if we're not factoring in health, Golden State. Interesting. So I'm gonna ask you what made you not mention Phoenix. Uh, well, they would they would have to be yeah they would have to be up there. I would take I would replace Philadelphia with Phoenix, and the only reason I said that because I was actually on the, considering, now the only the only list that Philadelphia made was the championship contender list. Yeah. So Phoenix doesn't make the talented teams overall list. The first list you came up with. Ah, uh, you know what? I I just never seen them play together, like all three of them, and I don't but think anybody talent. Yeah, I know their talent, but that's three. So that's what I'm asking you to rate. Yeah, I, I feel like, well, yeah, I mean, Phoenix could be there. Phoenix could be there. I mean, I think Phoenix is interchangeable. Um, If, if you want to put talent overall, I would put them instead of OKC because OKC has young talent that I'm yet to see do whatever they – you know what I mean? I'm yet to see mm-hmm. them really prove themselves. You can literally say uh, with, with – um. What you would call it? Well, Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Phoenix. Those guys have been on playoff teams or have been the number one option on teams that have won some games, but also you know lost a bunch. But yeah, you got Kevin Durant. You you always got a chance. Okay, so let's qualify what what, what we brought to the agenda. Let's start with let's start with the team that's giving you the most trouble, Oklahoma City. The sum of their talent is distributed probably the best out of any team you've named. If you look at how good their players are from 1 through 10 and how good those players are from 1 through 10, the jump doesn't get dramatic until you get to their top two, which is Chet and and Shai. Those two guys are far and above the two most talented players on their roster. But their guys 2 through 10 are really freaking good. Uh-huh. Jalen Williams is good, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, the the, the, the the young girl lover. They've got ah! they've got they've got an assembly of, of guys. Uh, now, 
championship caliber talent. I feel like Boston's three is more powerful than Oklahoma City ten. That's how I that's that's how I evaluate it. Like that's yeah, enough to say. Like yeah, same thing with Phoenix. Phoenix is three. Their detonation level, the 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 blast radius of what those three guys can do in a game, in comparison to what those ten over yeah. there in Oklahoma City can do. Oh, okay, I can see I feel that. Like I can, I can see that. So that so that's where my mentality. Same thing with Philly. Like I know mm. you, I know you're semi. Not to say they're on this, they're not on par with Boston. I'm not doing that. But what I'm saying is, is that their ability to detonate puts them in a category that, like, I don't feel like Oklahoma City resides in comfortably all the time. They're getting. Oh there. yeah, no, no, that's that's a fact. That's, I agree. So that's why I that's why I, I try to give you those qualifying categories to see. Because it's good for the audience and for us to see, like, you can see a team and respect the team, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you put a team on the same pedestal or category with these other teams just because they all have good players. Like, yeah, we all see what Oklahoma City is capable of, but we don't put them on par with what we expect Boston to accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you're right. So it, it's interesting. Um we spoke about this. I don't know how long we spoke about it on the last part, but I just definitely want to jump into it. Um, who do you think is going to be the first team in the East to fold on trading talent out? And then conversely, who do you think is going to be the first team in the West to do that? Chicago. Okay. So you think Chicago is going to be the first major player in the trade market? I think they, let me say this. I think they would love to be. I just don't know if other teams are going to be able to control. I'm not control, but I don't know what the Bulls asking price is for their pieces. That would be the only reason why I feel like they would maybe, but I definitely think they're trying to get rid of those guys. I feel like Chicago might be the only team to influence the outcome of this season. From the outside looking in. Mm. When you look at all of these other teams, most of them don't look like they're going to be too interested in doing business with each other. Uh-huh. Think about it. Does Orlando have anybody that they're going to be wanting to trade? They're second uh-huh. in the East. Milwaukee can't trade anybody. You saw uh-huh. what they just did to get Dane. Boston's uh-huh. not going to trade anybody. What they're going to do is sign veterans. Ladies and gentlemen, be on the lookout. Boston's roster at the end of the season will not be what we see now. There will be people who we forgot played basketball who will suddenly be available to play for Boston, and they will be veterans. Just mark my word. Um, might even be the same thing for Milwaukee, but Milwaukee looks like they're kind of already set with Jay Crowder and, and, you know, Chris Middleton coming back into his own. It looks like their one through ten is about to be solidified. So Milwaukee might, might turn a corner, but they're not going to be trading. Philly – the only reason why Philly might be involved in the market is if they don't feel like they can hang. But they're top four in the East right now. We all know mm. that New York is always mentioned in a whole bunch of trades. But if they're still in that four or five range, do you really push the button? No, I don't because think they there's will. Because no there's no trade out there that leapfrogs New York over Boston, Mm-mm. Philly, and and if there is, I don't know what it, it may it may manifest. It may manifest. I, it that, could I, be, yeah. It could be a 
Joel and B said I had enough, trade me to New York. Then that will automatically catapult New York and whoever he stays on that team with him to to a contender status. Um, I don't see Miami in the trade market. I don't see Cleveland in the trade market. Cleveland is interesting though, because again, their Donovan Mitchell situation is it's it's one that even though it's not spoken of, it exists. Mm -hmm. If you're not competing with them, and you're probably not going to keep them, you're going to probably have to move them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that was going to be my next team in the East was Cleveland. If they can't figure, if they just still start, still keep playing that whole, we're not sure what we want to do with our lives type thing, mm-hmm. you know, and if they don't. And I don't winning. really see, and I don't really see anybody else in the East, like I said, having any type of capital worth. I mean, yeah, if Charlotte woke up and said, we're going to trade LaMelo Ball, that's something big. Um, Washington, nobody wants those two guys. No, they, they don't play Not themselves. Not to win. No, Not to they, win. Exactly. No, Detroit, they don't want them at people all. May, people may look to fleece Detroit because Detroit has a lot of young talent, but they're just not winning. So, yeah. you know, you can't say that their players aren't good. You can just say that they're not winning. I think Asar Thompson or whichever Thompson yeah. brother is the one no, that, that plays Detroit, he, he's, he's got star he's, qualities. Oh, he's definitely going to be a um, make an all-defensive team at some point in his career if he keeps it up. But before we wrap it up, quickly jumping out west, I, I don't see Golden State being active in the trade market as far as them moving players unless it's, uh, they finally decide they, that they're the going to let go play because – Okay, fair enough. Maybe because he's maybe got that one. Could... This is last year on that contract. Yeah, it's an expiring. Um, yeah, maybe they can package Clay. They can go if they, if, if, if Chicago if Chicago wants to get rid if they want to get rid and ask Chicago. Yeah, that fine from a financial standpoint that will probably match. Yeah, you, you can know? you they could probably you can go get like Zach Levine. Levine for for. Clay's contract and whatever else they needed to do that with. Because yep, Golden State can't really stay healthy. Yeah. Um, Portland, I could see them making moves, but there's nobody really significant on their roster other than um, Grant. Jeremy Grant. Utah, um, I feel like Utah is just kind of like in that like they want to see what they've got. Yeah. Um, Memphis, they're just not whole right now without Ja. And San mm-hmm. Antonio and San Antonio. So Exactly. I don't think that – I mean, I know there's been a lot of speculation of Chicago being involved or possibly getting involved with the Lakers. But yeah. I already spoke on that, and I told everybody, and I still stand on that, that everybody's talking about Zach Levine moving when Zach Levine is not likely to be the first domino. I think, you again, you have to move DeMar to, yeah. Really, yeah. to really set the table for you to be able to get back the type of stuff that you want to get back when you're doing a flat-out rebuild. So – that's where I'm at with it. I feel like Chicago is going to be the team that stirs the pot when it comes to player movement for this season. Obviously, a surprise team is going to pop up that we're not talking about or thinking about. It always does mm-hmm. happen that way. Um, I'll be excited to see it when it does. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. As always, want to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you can do so by following us on any of the platforms that host podcasts, notably Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can leave us five-star reviews. Comments are always encouraged. Um, you can give us direct feedback at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Facebook and Instagram. And on that note, we'll say peace. Peace.